0: For the last four or five years, people have known more about what the guy in the White House was tweeting about than they've often known about what's happening on their block or what's happening in their town. So what we're ultimately trying to do is build a kind of powerful new voice in Australian media that's coming from the grassroots.
1: Hello and welcome to Crawford Media. My name is Hal Crawford and today I'm happy just to be talking to you. It's been a busy few weeks in Crawford Media Land. Finally though, another podcast and the chance to learn about a fascinating new project in local media. In this podcast, I'm speaking to Simon Creera, the former editor of Buzzfeed Australia. Simon's gone on to start a company called PS Media. This podcast provides the first public detail of that project And if you're anything like me, you may find it a little hard to understand at first. So I'm going to preface the conversation by telling you that PS Media will provide a co-ownership model and a tech platform for local digital news. It could be a very important development for Australia and New Zealand. We'll see as PS attracts further investment and starts pilot publications shortly. So I'm
0: Simon Crearer and I am, um, I guess i describe myself as a media entrepreneur. So I'm the co-founder of a, a new um, local news startup, currently fundraising, you know, getting pretty close to press and go. Prior to that, I had a basically 20 or so year career as a journalist, you know, a variety of different things, starting off working in Fleet Street and then moved to Australia, I guess about 10 years ago, 2010. And I worked for a number of different publishers in Australia, most recently I worked uh, for BuzzFeed as the founding editor, so you know did that for five years, and then I've been doing some consultancy stuff and working with some local original publishers, and basically working on my startup.
1: That's what I, I really want to talk to you about, PS Media, which yeah. is you know just reviewing again and um, who you're working with and what you're doing is absolutely riveting. But before we go there, just because you mentioned Fleet Street and ten years ago, yeah. the the UK. Media scene to the Australian media scene. What's that like? What What's that transition like?
0: uh Well, I did it twice basically. So the first time, I I started. I, I basically had four years in Fleet Street, then came backpacking to Australia. I actually lucked out and got you know a gig at the Sydney Morning Herald. And yeah, like the, the SMH was doing some interesting stuff at that point. But really, I was like, oh my goodness, there's yeah, you know, News Corp then, SMH, there wasn't 9MSN, there wasn't Yahoo 7, there wasn't any of the kind of, you know, the digital um, interlopers that arrived subsequently. So it was really felt like a very, you know, a kind of duopoly of legacy publishers plus the ABC basically. And I, I, I really thought, you know, I, I just kind of wanted to go back to London because there was this huge invigorating market with you know, a dozen daily newspapers and just a really kind of terrific media environment by the time i came came back there was also the launch of you know some a whole load of you know australian digital plays and and i think more recently it's definitely been you know, quite an invigorating market if, take on the kind of the national level where there, you know, has obviously been some kind of digital startups, you know, getting going at the same kind of time as BuzzFeed, the junkies, the pedestrians, and then, you know, also, you know, like a whole, po- like obviously BuzzFeed came, Huffington Post came, the New York Times, now the Washington Post. So it does feel as a consumer of, you know, national news that there's much, much more choice now than there was say, you know, you know, 17, 18 years ago when I first came and I was like,
1: get me back to the UK because there's not a lot of choice in variety. And then you were uh, the launch editor of BuzzFeed Australia. Yeah. And I, I can't remember your job title, but basically you were the boss of, of BuzzFeed in Australia. Yeah. And, and that was at the time where, you know, the party was getting started, really. All of those titles that you'd mentioned had had come into the market and for some reason Australia looked attractive to all of these brands. Now the party's, party's over, isn't it?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the history of digital media over the last 10 years – It was very much about expansion powered by the fragmentation of the, of the media environment. BuzzFeed Australia was the, I was the founding editor and it was the the second international edition a year after the UK. And, you know, then in the space of a couple of years fueled by, you know, lots and lots of venture capital coming from Andreas and Horowitz and then lots of money coming in from NBC, BuzzFeed expanded really rapidly internationally and grew really fast from an organization with a few hundred employees when I started to kind of 1500. And really there was the big kind of bet on video and there was this belief that there was this kind of huge transformation, this notorious kind of pivot to video and, you know, BuzzFeed built huge kind of properties, you know, as Fox did, as advice did, as other digital publishers did on social networks, on Facebook in particular and on YouTube. So BuzzFeed built this food network, Tasty, with a hundred million, you know, likes um, internationally, built the biggest kind of show shows on, on, on YouTube. And yet despite the scale of BuzzFeed and the scale of Vice and the scale of Vox, the the this there still wasn't that, you know, ability to really convert that into really significant, the kind of significant revenue I think the venture capital that came into fueling the growth of, of all these digital publishers had imagined would be there. Yeah. And still the you know, the platforms managed to control a lot of that road re- revenue themselves, that digital revenue. Or, or, you know, increasingly brands would go kind of direct and, and kind of work to to you know, not with the publisher and go direct. So yeah, as we know, you know, and and the experience and what happened with Buzzfeed is not unique. It happened to lots of different digital publishers at the same kind of time, where there was this realization that you know that maybe building distributed businesses, you know, had had been you know an overexertion, and that, that there should be a focus more on kind of owned and operated properties. So yeah, that's kind of you know, I you know, I had an amazing experience at Buzzfeed, being that found, the founding editor, and then latterly the last couple of years, the general manager. You know, we had you know, opportunity to kind of create something that was authentically Australian. I feel we created a distinctive Australian voice and, you know, grew a big audience and we had a really significant revenue growth for for year on year as well, but, you know, Decisions were made internationally that affected, you know, our office, that affected the UK office that, you know, saw sort of sadly the closures offices in Mexico and, and and Spain and other markets that BuzzFeed were in. So yeah, it was it was a it was a journey. It was a ride. It was wild. It was a lot of fun. And I, you know, generally, you know, I had an amazing experience. And I think most of the people who were involved in that had a really um enjoyable experience as well.
1: Yeah. I I think I met you, Simon, first I think we were doing some sort of a panel session and From the word, from from the first time I met you, you were intensely proud about what you were doing at BuzzFeed and, you know, the engineering. And I, I came to see you later in your office and you explained the cms to me which you know i was quite envious of your the development uh, resource at your fingertips there and you know i can hear you talking about it now that you're you're still really attached to that when the office shut down you know and you were out of a job that must have been devastating and yet and i'll i'll get you to the, respond to that in a minute but i'll just caveat it by saying that the way that you handled yourself on social media and in person, and the way you talk about it now, is kind of a model for how someone who who has been, uh, you know, let go should behave. Oh, look, I'm a realist, and I feel that you know, I spent 20 years
0: of my career in media, you know, never having my head on the block, if you like, and you know, I, you know, loads of my mates in the UK as papers as revenue declined double digit year on year. Had you know, left publishers in situations rather similar to the way. I mean, two hundred people left Buzzfeed at the same time as I did, so it was kind of that made it easier in some ways. I guess you know, I'd i had an amazing r- ride, and you know, I think that I understood that the business had kind of breaking points to hit internationally, and you know, I, I, I felt that really there's, there's you know, in life there's there's nothing much to be gained from blowing stuff up on the way out for me. I was really proud of all the different things we did. Um, and I was really proud of some of the lifestyle and entertainment content that we created, but in particular, as somebody who's always been obsessive kind of about hard news, I really loved that opportunity to, you know, when Ben Smith had first come to Australia to say, what areas do you think you should cover? And I said, well, I feel, you know, that indigenous affairs is an area that we should have a beat on, that we have this amazing narrative, this amazing story happening around same sex marriage. We should have a reporter kind of covering LGBT issues. So. We had reporters covering really interesting subjects that other publishers
1: at that stage didn't have, and that allowed us to have a disproportionate kind of impact. Mm. And 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 so let's let's talk about what you are going to do next. PS Media, for starters, what does the name mean? PS, actually,
0: and so I came together with my co-founder. So we came together, and you know, just as the pandemic was starting to bite, they would heard I was thinking about the local space. They were really interested in it and wanted to try and. Bring something to life. I didn't think it was going to be happened To be honest, I really thought like you know, COVID's coming. You know, the world is and um, being turned upside down. But I think we felt that like there's you know, th- this is a a major, the biggest crisis of our lifetime. Everyone's going to be hunkering down, and on the backside, there's this tremendous opportunity to reshape a kind of brave new world. And to you know, and I still think we're definitely in the middle of it still now, and we don't yet know what this brave new world will be on the other side. So PS was like a kind of shorthand that we. We described, PS Media stands for, our business is registered as Paradigm Shift Media. That's the name of a PTY limited company. And it was really like, we want to try and enable a kind of paradigm shift. And, you know, if you, you know, it was a working title for our project initially. It was kind of a shorthand. And, you know, by the time we decided we were going to go ahead and and actually create a business, we actually had a kind of couple of workshops where we looked at all sorts of other ideas. But really, we're seeking to kind of challenge the status quo about, you know, what a business, media business might be like in the post-Coderno world. And as, um, you know, because we had that as our kind of working shorthand, that as our, you know, our provocation to ourselves about like reimagine, you know, our engagement strategy around our, you know, our business model around, you know, our ownership structure, all those different things. We're not going to be calling ourselves Paradigm Shift, we're going to be calling ourselves PS and the mastheads will be called PS wherever they are, but you know, as we've lived with it, it feels really nice to us. And I think if you dip, dive deeper into it, and if, you know, this is the first time I've ever actually had to explain it really to the outside of our org. But it's a concept that people intrinsically grasp, I think. And actually, I think that idea, if you go back and I kind of be down the rabbit hole with it, it's actually, you know, hugely relevant to the media moment that we're in. The idea of a paradigm shift was, you know, from a book that an American physicist guy called Thomas Kuhn wrote in the, you know, 60s, about 60 years ago, I think. And, you know, his idea really, as we know, you know, he, he wrote really about the movement from kind of Aristotle to Newton, and then from Newton to Einstein, and that move from Einstein to relativity and all these different moments where, you know, a new idea has come along. The current kind of paradigm is in flux because of that. Nobody really knows where the ground is. And that, you know, that the, there's this moment of immense change. And I really feel that from media, the internet has radically reshaped the business models that powered you know, newspaper, public interest journalism for you know, more than a century. And that, you know, from the late nineties, definitely to the noughties and the growth of the social, we've entered this kind of revolutionary phase in kind of, you know, Thomas Kuhn's kind of, you know, scientific analysis of it. Publishers have struggled massively for a couple of decades to adapt to the internet. You know, the industry is, the business model is kind of broken. There's 50% fewer journalists working in the world 10 years ago. The revenue is kind of created for most, you know, not everyone, some, you know, international names are making a good go of it. But the internet has certainly, I think, you know, created this immense turmoil, uncertainty, you know, the growth of inf- disinformation and misinformation, this you know, powered by the platforms, all this kind of, you know, the cratering of trust in media, the polarization of society, a you know, major, you know, real world impacts in the politics of, of nations around the world. And the publishers are frantically trying to evolve legacy publishers, to their business models to this new reality. And, you know, I was part of a publisher that was very kind of addicted to dashboards about content that generated clips and inevitably that was polarizing. And so, you know, I really feel that, you know, and our thinking around PS media is, can we, you know, start, we've got this great advantage of starting with a blank piece of paper and can we be inspired by the canon and the history of journalism and the practices that, um, you know, have done amazing journalism over, over decades and decades, but also can we learn from the best not the worst, but the best things that have come out of Silicon Valley, if you like, or in, you know, startups or technology world and build something with people, you know, build it together with communities to create a different kind of business model for local news. And, you know, we don't yet know exactly what that will look like. We've got a much better idea than we did a year ago because we've been doing a lot of work and research and talking to a lot of people. But we know that it will be collaborative we know it'll be participative we know it'll be inclusive and what we want to do is make it really empowering for people who are kind of have lost trust in media generally and have confused about the reality that social has brought to their lives and really empower them together to kind of come together as communities to build what we hope is going to be like a different kind of um, business model for local news
1: so i'm really impressed with the the thinking that's gone behind the name and uh and it sounds wonderful, but it also sounds quite hard to grasp and generic to me. So I, I, I'd like to know, you know, if we take an example community, what kind of size of local community are you thinking about in, in the sweet spot for PS? The probably imperfect lens that we're embarking on this with is through the lens of an LGA. Um,
0: and you know, as we know, LGA's really range in, in size, but yeah, you know, the kind of We're looking at about 100 LGAs, about 15 regional remote, about 15 urban and suburban, so a mix of inner city and and suburban. And they range in size from, you know, the smallest ones we think we could probably get PS up in are communities of about 30, 35,000 up to, you know, bigger, some of the bigger kind of LGAs are several hundred thousand people. And, you know, there might be regions where uh, people see themselves as part of you know, a, a particular coastal region or a particular um, geographic region in, inland. And so, you know, we're going to experiment with that. And the idea from you know, when, when PS comes somewhere is that, you know, when you first have an exposure to the Mars will you'll do where are you? And you will type in, and you can type in what you like. You can type in your, your, your suburb, your town, uh, your postcodes, your, you the indigenous land you're on, you know, you can type in what you want and then our, you know, platform will, will, will tell you kind of, this is what's accessible to you that's when we're kind of up and running. Initially, what we're doing and what we're fundraising for is to do pilots. So we're going to do, over the next 12 months, three pilots. We're basically going to kind of take our kind of elevator pitch to those communities, which is that we're a collaborative model for local news. That we're co-creating this with the communities that we seek to serve and that they will become co-owners or a certain percentage of them will become co-owners. And then we're going to work with them you know, to, to, to bring a local master to life. So it's really it's rooted in this kind of co-design idea. It's rooted in co-ownership. Basically, we need a thousand co-owners in a particular community to bring that masted and to, to kind of launch a PS locally in one place. So, you know, if it's a community, a small, you know, smallish town or, or, or local government area of, you know, 25, 30,000 people, that's a hefty percentage of that area, if it's somewhere more like 50,000 or a hundred thousand or 200,000, it's less than a percent of the community becoming co-owners, So. Um, so can and, I can I yeah. play
1: this back to you? Yeah. Just so, I I I've got it. So there are there's a mosaic in, in the in the perfect world after PS is established. There's a mosaic of titles that are local news titles, and and you mentioned earlier they'll have PS in their mastheads, and within your whatever is you settle on as, as being the unit of the of the local community, there are a thousand people who. You describe them as co-owners. Does that, is that the co-op model where they are literally, they have equity in a publishing concern or are they, are they contributors to the, to, to the publication?
0: Yeah, so they have equity, yes. Those thousand co-owners are, we think, you know, you know, a small percentage of the community, between 1% and 3% of, this, of the communities that we seek to serve will become co-owners that what they're paying for effectively is to make the content free and accessible to everyone. So then this content will be free, whether it's on the app, on the website, on the podcast, watching the video. The idea is that this is importantly free and accessible to everyone. And so the value proposition to those co-owners is help us build this thing to make news accessible and free to everyone. And, you know, we, we think that that's kind of critical because around the nation, The kind of legacy players, and I completely understand the economics of why this is the case. But if you're looking at like a news local title or a Seven West title or an ACM title, you know, you're paying just digitally somewhere between two and $350 a year to access that. If you're not paying that, you're hitting a hard paywall after two or three stories. And we don't think that we think people, you know, they need local news and information. We think it's critical to the health of our society, to the health of local democracy. So that's our kind of ask is, you know, and that's what a big part of our, you know, this next pilot phase will be about is working to hone in on the marketing messaging. And, you know, the Guardian in particular provide a great exemplar. Nobody's forcing you to pay for the Guardian. You know, nobody's making you pay 120, you know, or 250 or whatever you're paying for the Guardian a year. You know, you're basically being asked to fund that so that everyone can access it for free. And that's like, you know, a national title or a title, you know, which is covering a whole lot of this stuff. We think, that where the real issue is, is on the local level. That's where it's really critical. Now for the last four or five years, people have known more about what the guy in the white house was tweeting about than they've often known about what's happening on their block or what's happening in their town. Because increasingly we've seen this trend of papers closing, these news deserts expanding around Australia in warp speed last year. So we think that this is a moment where there's this great concern around, you know, not from everyone, cause some people are just like, well, I get my news from Facebook, you know, why do, why do I need to get my use from somewhere else? we think there's now an established kind of cohort society who are concerned about this and, and we think we can tap into them to become co-owners, to bring PS's to their communities. And we think like, if you look, think back to like November last year, when Kevin Rudd got his petition up, there's 500,000 signatories to that petition. They're concerned about media diversity in Australia. And I think they're the tip of the iceberg. I think there's, with the right kind of marketing, I think if we can um, help people understand what has been lost. And the people who've lost a paper, they know it. They feel it. The research I've done, we did research in 50 LGAs with the University of Canberra back end of 2019, so actually before the pandemic. And as we know in Australia, there's around 12 or 13% of people are currently paying for digital news, pretty small number overall. But where the masthead had closed um, and where they they were now living in a place where the, the, the paper had closed, suddenly a third of people would pay for something. They didn't know what they'd lost until it was gone. They maybe never bought the paper. It was in the cafe. It was in the pub. Somebody was talking about it in the hairdresser. The news was circulating. They knew what was happening with high school sport. They knew who was born, who was died, it gone. And all of a sudden they were like, "Ah!" Oh. so we think with the right kind of marketing and messaging, we can really explain to people, you know, what, why public interest journalism is intrinsic, um, to the health of, um, you know, their local community, to the health of their local democracy and overall.
1: We think, you know, intrinsic to the health of our nation. So, so tell me, I'm I'm one of the thousand people. What do I get? What what do I have to pay, and what do I get for my money?
0: So, at the moment, our, and this is obviously something we're early, we're really early the stage. And I need to. You know, There's a big caveat there because we're we're only going out and testing this with our first community starting in October, and then two more following that. The, what we're proposing is that you will pay five hundred dollars. What we're going to ask you to do is pay that over four years. So we don't want you to buy a share on day one for $500 because we think that that's excluding a whole bunch of people who wouldn't be able to afford that. We think that, you know, I described the kind of, kind of price people pay to get behind the payroll for a legacy news provider. We think $125, kind of $10 or $12 a month is a regular um, payment that people could kind of afford. And so we've done a lot of work with our lawyers on modeling how that would actually happen. How can we create a structure allows people to become co-owners and um, you know basically paying a recurring kind of revenue type you know share subscription over four years so we've got yeah you know, it's not a cooperative we looked at cooperatives a lot people won't be buying into their local just to their local community the money will the platform will will show us how many people have signed up in a particular place and where we can bring mastheads and reporters but ultimately they're basically going to you know they're basically going to become co-owners of of our ps media and um, company and then You know, the idea is, and this is a profit for purpose for business, this is really important. We're effectively, you know, designed as a social enterprise, so that once we get to profitability, which is not going to be overnight, which, you know, it's going to be five, six years hence, that we will um, split that profit through by as many PSs as we have, by as many community co-owners as we have, and then... We will then, the money, the profit will be sliced and diced and go back into, you know, the, a, a, a community grant. Obviously outside the media, this idea of social enterprise is, you know, really well established and is really driving a lot of, you know, consumer purpose-driven kind of choices. And we think, you know, we've spent a huge amount of time how over the last couple of years really diving deep into this, you know, the subscription economy, this big move that, you know, publishers around the world have really kind of moved hard into over the last couple of years. And in particular, I've been really interested in the amazing work of the membership puzzle project. I visited them in New York in the back end of 2019. This is Jay Rosen and a crew of people uh, at the University of New York there. And and they've worked with dozens of publishers around the world on membership. And there's great learnings there, which some of them were deploying. We think ownership is even deeper than that. And internationally, there are examples, particularly in Europe, of some really incredible examples of community ownership, which we've learned from as well. So we think really, you know, this is a, an idea that, you know, there's loads of international inspiration for, but that kind of we hope is, is um, the moment is now in Australia for mm. this kind
1: of abstraction. Mm. It's fascinating. So moving on from membership to ownership, what's the precedent for many people owning a chunk of the business?
0: Well, I think the history of cooperatives is, you know, has, has gone for centuries and has been, you know, you know, NRMA or RAC Victoria, they're kind of set up as kind of mutual trusts where, you know, as you pay for it each year, you are a member of that organization. And so that idea is maybe quite invisible and it's not so obviously sold as, as the way we are, we've really looked at these examples, um, internationally of, of news organizations who've made this kind of core and, and often they're really driven by a design, not all of them, but a design not to have lots of advertising and PS is plan is not to have a lot of advertising. You know, this, i are sure still d- baffling to me really in, in so many ways are still very much like, we're the experts. We have the expertise and we're the teachers and the parents who are going to explain this really complicated world to you. And we're kind of interested in how many of you are looking or listening or watching this thing, but we're not really interested too much in kind of what you, what perspectives you have. We're not really going to read the comments. And actually we think that, you know, the power of what we can do is more about deploying data in particular. To better understand and serve our communities and so our model is very much focused on you know not being a parent or a teacher and our reporters and our model about serving our communities
1: yeah yeah I, I read i think it was benedict evans i'm not sure no it wasn't it was matthew ball the, the venture capitalist who talks a lot about the metaverse anyway he made a great point the other day and he said all content is ugc <laughs> you know yeah. everything is generated by users including reporters although reporters don't see the world that way yeah so now i've got a thousand people they're paying five hundred dollars over over four years that's five hundred thousand dollars to to get my local newsroom working what have you got a model for the structure of that newsroom do you get two reporters and, and an editor or what, what, what do you think it looks like
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, we have, so one of my co-founders is um, Margaret Simons and, you know, she had a long tradition in, as I have in newspaper journalism, work for the age. We have a real understanding of how newsrooms historically worked and also a real belief that, you know, it's very important that we have copy editors and we have senior editors. We have worked really hard at kind of structures of how many reporters we could have in particular places and the, the, the layers and particularly how we can build that in a really decentralized way where ultimately in some places we might just start with one reporter, and yeah. So we've given a lot of thought to, you know, you know, we're, and, and it's really important as well to stress that, you know, you know, we're building a, we're building a platform, we're building a product. We're not taking a CMS off the shelf. We're building a piece of digital community infrastructure, and that is fundamentally designed to provide professional local journalism, so professional um, journalists in communities, but it's also designed to really empower communities, like I've been explaining. And so to deploy their inputs into the creation of news. Now it's, it's not citizen journalism they're not writing stories, but their perspectives, our our model is that in each, we will have like an editor in each particular location that we launch and, um, and, and reporter, and that reporter is effectively the, you know, like I said, the kind of they're 50% traditional reporter, they're 50% kind of engagement specialist and community facilitator. And that's what we've seen internationally as the real success is that, you know, before you go in and do reporting, understand what community, what is important to the community collectively. What is in, what are the issues that are, you know, unaddressed by the existing media provision. And so our technology is designed to capture that. It's designed to prioritize the, the, the important stories. We're not going to do everything. We're not going to chase ambulances or go after cats, suck up trees. We're going to go and, you know, find what are the, things that journalism can impact in this community in the medium to longer term and how can we get there together and build this together with that community so that we will probably have your know, half a dozen key kind of reporting um, priorities each year in a particular community that were the big major issues it doesn't mean we're not going to do other things it doesn't mean we're not going to do you know you know schools or or local sport or whatever of course we're going to do all those things as well but we're really going to be focused on you know on you know, the the Kind of priorities there we're trying to kind of build some element of social cohesion some element you know go back a little bit to the era before the the growth of the platforms where you know people of course really disagreed about stuff but there was a general agreement on what that you know what what the what the facts were that people were disagreeing about and
1: we feel that that's been lost so we're going to try and kind of rebuild that mm. So ambitious. Not, not only you're going to fix local news, one of the hardest nuts to crack uh, in <laughs> journalism, but you're yeah. going to mend society at the same time. But um, well,
0: we think the things are linked. I mean, I think you can really see, yeah, you know, particularly in the UK. I really feel in, in the states where, in American terms, that you know the loss of 2,000 newspapers over the last 10 years, and the growth of and um, the rabbit hole that Facebook and YouTube in particular have kind of opened up. And, you know, if you like, the fact that there's then no local reality from a news perspective, and, it, and, and of, you know, it's happening here. We've lost a lot of papers, particularly over the last kind of um, 18 months. And, you know, in some places we still have papers, but they're effectively kind of ghost papers or zombie papers where, you know, five mastheads have been kind of produced, you know, from a hub by kind of, you know, one reporter and everything else is just coming out of a, you know, Metro title.
1: So I, I'm going to assume some things here. I'm going to assume that PS provides the model, the CMS, so the the, the software and, and technology on which these things run. I'm going to assume that you provide sales and some sort of a sales network for display advertising, which I'm also assuming you've got on the sites. Is all of that right?
0: So we are building our technology ourselves. So one of the things that we think is a big competitive advantage for us is that one of my business partners is a guy called Rob Wise, who has... I mean, he's he, had, he has a long his family and his businesses have a long history in, in social enterprise. Actually, they brought the body shop to Australia. They you know they brought the big issue to Australia. They've got a long history, of kind of before it was even a thing, profit for purpose. But more recently, Rob is, is a teaser is technologist, and they have built a number of different products, including this thing called Bee Collective, which is a really amazing piece of software for the voluntary sector, basically a piece of community infrastructure. What we're not trying to build is just a content management system. We're trying to build a piece of community infrastructure. So starting with something which experientially is, doesn't feel, look, smell, it's not going to be called the newspaper. It's called the PS. It's not called the times or the telegraph and it will feel really different. And it will feel really different from a kind of UX perspective as well. So no, initially in the beginning, we're not going to have, you know, we're not going to have a display advertising, classified advertising, programmatic, you know, we're not going to have that kind of stuff. We've basically got two beyond the, like the recurring. Um, subscription revenue from our co-owners, which will, you know, we're not going to have everybody starting on the same time. So that's going to run for you know, the first kind of t- 10 years of our existence. I imagine that we're going to have recurring revenue from co-owners as we activate communities around Australia. The other kind of major slices of the pie initially are going to be this, you know, deep brand partnerships. So we've been speaking to some major Australian businesses who are really aligned with us on, you know, the critical kind of need for reaching people locally and the lack of opportunities for them to do so and so and and i have concern you know like we do about like the health of our democracy and and community cohesion going forward etc
1: right yeah it's you know as 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 we discuss this and and nut it out one of the things that it strikes me is that because what you're doing is almost unprecedented it's quite hard to describe so it's You know, trying to birth something new is always difficult because how do you appeal to the people that you're talking to? How do you make yourself understood? Is that is that going to be difficult? I I think it's through the lens of the people know that I'm a media guy. They know that
0: that Margaret, in particular, and and Karen too have 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 media you know deep media experience. And so, and, and you know, the problem we're trying to solve is the market failure in local media. But actually, the solution, the opportunity for us, is to Deploy much more of the thinking that builds really great, successful technology businesses, you know, with that kind of Silicon Valley mindset, for lack of a better word, you know, from a value proposition perspective, what are people's problems that we can solve? What are the things that they're missing in their lives? And so, you know, I'm not too hung up on at this stage, people not quite getting what we're doing because ultimately we want to really develop that with our communities. We know what we're trying to do, I'm really looking forward to, we're working, we're going to be working with an amazing kind of what's described as a social impact agency, an international concern. We've got an office here in Sydney, and we're also going to be working with an amazing group of marketeers. And I think they will help us as we go into this pilot phase, you know, really distill this down, you know, this idea of like, you know, we're a collaborative model for local news that we're creating with you and you're kind of going to co-own. Distill this down into something that people can, you know, that we can get down into, you know, I've got this idea of know that this is something where there's a postcard that comes through your door or there's a bumper sticker or there's a you know a big billboard you drive past and it just talks to you and it makes absolute sense and like i said i don't think this will initially you probably won't even necessarily think that it's in it's a media business because it's about you and about community and about connection and
1: you know so so yeah like you know figure out that out I'm, I'm really excited about that that mm. process to be honest yeah it is it is an incredibly exciting project just uh for the record i think we better mention the the, the co-owners again there's uh there's meg simons robert wise who you, you, you mentioned both of them and who is the other co-founder karen Marleb. so we're
0: four co-founders yeah and and karen's background is she's the the founder and ceo of probo in australia which is basically like you know we're, we're in the media you know Mumbrella is the kind of the news wire for the media service you know the the, the industry publication and Pro Australia is effectively the industry publication for the the not for profit the philanthropy the social enterprise sector.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it is a deeply impressive group of people. I was sort of blown away as I went through each of your CVs in preparation for this interview. I'd like to say also that you know the project fills me with excitement. I'm I, I'm I'm what's what's my reaction i'm i'm sort of awestruck by the by the audaciousness of it is what i would say so yeah. so good luck mate thank you thank you to simon and kevin mcleod for the podcast music see you next week